How do we make sure our church members are safe in their marriages? Welcome to the Pastor's Voice. I am Rule Sample, and I am talking to pastors and church leaders about the current issues of the day that are impacting their ministries and the people they serve. Today I conclude my conversation with Gretchen Baskerville, author of The Life-Saving Divorce, Hope for People Leaving Destructive Relationships. We discuss some practical ways congregations can identify troubled marriages and provide safety for those within them. We also discuss the need for churches to have a frank discussion about divorce and how a written policy condoning divorce because of abuse can be a powerful tool of healing for all those involved. But what it comes down to for pastors is that we've got to get out of this idea of one size fits all. When somebody comes into our office and they are having marital issues, we just can't put them through the marriage counseling mill. We've got to take time to make sure that we know the details of this individual marriage. We know the, what's going on with each, uh, each person in that marriage so that we can go forward in a proper Christ-like way, whether it is finding ways to heal that marriage or finding ways to end that marriage for the good of both parishioners. Absolutely. You know, let me, I have two quick tips for pastors to make this easier. One is get your hands on a free copy of the Duluth Wheel of Power and Control. It is a really cool graphic and it helps people see different kinds of abuse because abuse victims don't always know they're being abused. They may say, well, my husband's mean to me, but maybe I deserve it. Or yeah, he hit, throws me around, but that's because I spilled the coffee. Okay. They don't even know. They, they, uh, abuse victims tend to underplay the abuse, not overplay it. Um, the other thing to get your hands on, I have free on my website, lifesavingdivorce.com forward slash self tests, self tests. Um, I have seven different self tests and you can just print them out and give them to uh, the person who comes in the door and just seems um, in despair, depressed. They've tried everything. They've prayed, they've fasted, they've been more agreeable. They've been more sexually enthusiastic. They have done everything for year after year after year in this marriage. And it just gets worse. It doesn't get better. And so if you give them the self-test, they can, um, these tests all avoid the word abuse because of abuse victims never <laughs> ironically never know they're abused they will they'll say well i'm in an unhappy marriage yeah. but yeah. but uh, even this woman i was telling you about um earlier who had been beaten and left for dead even she uh believed that she was in an unhappy marriage not an abusive marriage so these self tests and there's uh, five different ones. Some of them are secular. Some are Christian. Will really help them decide. Oh, uh, and there's a scoring mechanism on it, and they can kind of see for themselves, and you can see for them, uh, for yourself. You know, kind of where this marriage falls. As a Navy chaplain, if somebody came into my office and said, "I'm abusing my wife," or "I'm abusing my child." There were some restrictions that I had to follow in terms of confidentiality, but one of the things that I could do was say, well, thank you for telling me. 
you're not going home today. You are you are ordered to stay on base because I that was a great great escape for both of the people. Should pastors always be ready to provide that escape for? Uh, the abused spouse should they always have something in the back of their minds to say okay this person can go to john and 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 melissa's place tonight because they'll be safe there that would be such a fabulous gift for an abused spouse male or female um to have a home uh with with people who will give them hugs and say you're safe here we will not let your spouse know where you are no one knows where you are uh, you can borrow our computer, our phones. You can turn off your computer. You can turn off your phone because a lot of um, smartphones today have tracking devices on them. You know, find my iPhone or, um, you know, Life360 and things like that. Turn off your phone. We will give you everything you need to contact the outside world. Um, but you are safe and, uh, here with us. What a huge blessing that would be. Um, because a lot of times people are so living in abuse every day that they, their brain their brain can't even function. They they can't even see straight. They can't even get safe enough for 24 hours or 48 hours to make any decisions at all. And so the, what you're dis- describing here, it would be an absolute blessing to someone. And then call contact the hotline.org um, believe it or not the hotline.org is the it's funded by our U- united states taxes and it's not manned by volunteers it's manned by or womaned by or you know empl- <laughs> it's staffed by people with 95 hours of training in no- domestic violence and they will even take a call from a pastor saying hey i think i'm going to have a- an abuse victim walk into my office in 30 minutes tell me what to do so they are there for you pastors if you need someone to give you a hand um also because our domestic violence shelters right now are really uh, uh, filled to the brim in many states, Um, you know, having some other places a person can go. And um, boy, I just love your idea of of having a family who's ready to go, who's not going to, who's not going to uh, interrogate them or pressure them to reconcile, but just get them to safety. What a what a huge blessing! And, and talking to pastors and talking to church leaders, folks, we're not trained for this. We 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 know how to exegete. We know how to we know how to balance budgets. Domestic abuse is is it's both in our wheelhouse and out of our wheelhouse. It's in our wheelhouse because we're the first line, but it's out of our wheelhouse. Get the folks to help. Get them out of that relationship. And then start figuring out what to do. Yeah, some people talk about uh, therapeutic separations. And that can be, I've seen conservative pastors tell a couple, you need to be separate for three whole months. Uh, Because that's how long it takes for an abuse victim to kind of the cloud, you know, the cloud dissipates and they can think clearly because otherwise they're constantly walking on eggshells and they're like hamsters on a wheel. They can't ever get off. They're exhausted, but that's all they know. We, we're, so a therapeutic separation is a good idea. Exactly. Too. And we're focusing on, 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 on the victim here, but a, a therapeutic separation also helps the abuser to get 
the 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 help or the direction or the right. discipline that he or she needs because we, you know that that person too is a member of our church and to turn our right. back on that person is also a bad thing to do up to the point where that person is not going to accept any help and then our job as christians is to put that person out of the church but until that point right. is that our job as pastors is to help both of these people and to be open to the possibility that a one-size message of marriage at all costs is neither helpful nor biblical. Exactly. And I think um, one of the things we have to be aware of is the Bible talks about wolves. The Bible talks about people who have a form of godliness, but they don't actually live out the traits. So be aware that an abuser, whether it's a man or a woman, can talk a great talk, can shed the tears of of repentance, can stand up front of the in front of the church and tell their testimony. But what you really need to see is have they genuinely changed? Do they um, do they still uh, blame uh, the wife or the husband? Um, do are they taking responsibility for what they do, or do they excuse what they do? And there can be a lot of mind games that an abusive person, a hardened abusive person can play. And they're just really good at fooling all of us. As Christians, we do believe that God works miracles, but sometimes our idealism gets uh, makes us blind to these people. And I would also look up the uh, blog posts by Dr. Anna Salter, S. Say LTR. She's written some things for Christianity Today, and she talks about how abuse perpetrators and also child molesters really like churches because we are so trusting, because we are so optimistic, because we do have so much faith, and we really do believe that God can change lives. And so we are, we get groomed ourselves. We get preyed upon. I will be the first to say I have been conned. I've been in church ministry, face-to-face church ministry since 1998, and I have been conned by some really clever cons. And in my case, since I mainly deal with women, I've been conned by women. Uh, I've I've seen them take advantage of others. I've seen them do financial swindles. I mean, uh, and they talk such a good talk. So pastors, um, you know, just be aware that um, just be careful. Mm-hmm. Just be careful and be, you know, um, in, in reality, it's the, it's the wife, it's the victim, it's whoever the vulnerable person who needs to say, yeah, okay, I definitely see a change. Um, because if you tell them, the, the, the victim, oh, we see a change, um, then you're siding with, potentially siding with the exactly. abuser. Let them say, I, you know, I, I don't know. He looks okay. He, he does a few nice things, but something deep in my gut, something deep in my heart says he hasn't really changed. He's just kind of going through the motions and saying the right words. Gretchen, a couple of days ago, you put out on Twitter, Twitter, that, that uh, paradigm, paragon of morality and truthfulness. You put out a a tweet uh, asking, does your denomination have a a divorce policy? Why is it important for denominations to have a divorce policy? 
Oh, thank you for asking that. Um, right. Uh, some do and some don't. And some are um, helpful and some are not. So what what I've actually done is I've gone to, I just arbitrarily took a list of the top 30 or 40 largest denominations in the United States. And I started going to their official denominational websites to find out what their official divorce policy is. I'm not talking about the places on their websites where they talk about that, where they condemn domestic violence. I want to know what their their divorce policy is for domestic violence, emotional abuse, things like that. And um, so what I discovered actually kind of shocked me um, how few conservative and evangelical churches uh, condoned specifically in writing divorce for physical violence or emotional abuse, or even family crushing addictions. We're talking about the alcoholism, the drugs. And so our churches, I've been shocked to see how bad, sorry, sorry about that, how bad some of the divorce policies are. Um, and, And when I bring it up to pastors, the pastors go, Oh my goodness, I didn't realize this. I didn't realize that this was my denomination's official position on the official uh, website on the topic of divorce. And I said, please do what you can, talk to the higher ups. And I have had, I have had high ranking denominational leaders come to me and say, oh, well, we don't really mean that. I said, yeah, but you say it. If, if, and, if it's not in um, writing, it doesn't exist. You know it... exactly, exactly. So let me let me tell um, for those of you pastors who are listening, and you have a denomination that kind of gives freedom, um, freedom of conscience for pastors and congregations on the topic of divorce for abuse. Let me tell you. Let me try to persuade you that that's not a good thing. <laughs> Okay, here's why it's not a good thing. If the church's official divorce policy does not allow divorce for domestic violence, meaning physical abuse and emotional abuse, then the pastors who do allow it never really feel comfortable. They don't really feel they haven't really passed the insider litmus test. They feel like they're going rogue a little bit. Okay, so it's not totally comfortable for the pastors who choose to condone divorce for abuse. On the other hand, for the pastors who are hardliners and their staff and church leadership and lay leaders who choose not to allow divorce for physical violence and emotional abuse, this gives them the power to tell abuse victims to stay in their marriages. And they can, they can say that's our denominational stance. And in the worst case scenario, in the most extreme case scenario, they can exact church discipline and excommunication on abuse victims. And I have seen it. I have lots of stories on my website about it. I have one web page just dedicated to good pastors versus bad pastors. And it's the abuse victims themselves telling the stories. Oh my goodness. 
the number of pastors who who say, hey, this is what the denomination says, so we're going to have to discipline you if you divorce for abuse. It's it's shocking. It's just shocking. Pastors, church leaders, if you are in a denomination that does not take a firm stand on the biblical necessity for divorcing in an abusive situation, at the very least, have this conversation in your local church and come up with a plan, come up with a statement, come up with a challenge. Because I can guarantee you is that if you are in a church of any size, there are couples in your congregation that are struggling with issues of abuse or addiction or other things that go completely against what the biblical Christian worldview of marriage should be. And so we need to have those policies in place. Having it at the denominational level is just an excuse. Make it happen at the local church. Amen. Amen. I so wish that the pastors who do condone uh, divorce for abuse would put something on their website. And I've um, a good example. I've got I've got a good example of one pastor's um, a policy that he put on his site. I think it's on, uh, go to my website, lifesavingvoice.com, DV for domestic violence, October, and you'll see an interview with Pastor Neil Shorey. His church, the Edge Church in Aurora, Illinois, changed their public online divorce policy um, to make it clear that uh, they do condone uh, divorce for abuse, and they will be supportive and encouraging of whatever the victim chooses, which is really a powerful statement. Um, and and this also go. Let's go back to the denomination. If the denomination isn't willing to have a very clear um, stance. Uh, condoning divorce for abuse, then the pastors within the denomination who do condone it, are they going to put their name? Are they going to put it in writing on their church's own website? If they don't, that is evidence of the chilling nature that these kinds of policies have at the denominational level. Condoning marriage, uh, condoning divorce, providing a, a for abuse victims, providing a way out for people in these kinds of situations is not a ticket to uh, free-for-all marriages, is that this is not saying, well, we don't need to get married. We don't. We can just go in and out of marriage as we want. This is addressing a very specific problem in marriages, and that's that's nowhere in Scripture does would, would or does Christ say, stay in an abusive marriage. So pastors, we need to provide a way out for our people. Gretchen, Amen. as we as we as we wrap up our time today, what is your word for the people of of Christ? What is your message for those who are listening to this podcast today? Luke thirteen, Jesus, he's at a synagogue, and he is. I think this is Luke thirteen eleven through fourteen. He is there, and he sees a woman who has been in bondage to an evil spirit, I believe for 18 years. And it's a disabling 
spirit. It's a physically disabling spirit. And he calls to her and says, come to me. And she does. And he heals her. And the evil spirit is cast out. The disabling spirit that has been holding her in bondage for 18 years is cast out. She gives glory to God. But the synagogue leader does not give glory to God. The synagogue leader is angry. The synagogue leader is infuriated. The synagogue leader, he thinks he has interpreted the Sabbath law correctly, but Jesus actually interpreted the Sabbath law correctly. The synagogue leader thought he was confident he knew God's will, but Jesus actually knew God's will. The synagogue leader would set his oxen and donkeys free to get water on the Sabbath, and Jesus set a bound woman free and restored her on the Sabbath. The synagogue leader saw himself as righteous. Jesus saw him as a hypocrite, and he said so. The synagogue leader ignored Jesus and the miracle and just told the other people to come back later. And Jesus wasn't having anything of it. Jesus was defiant, and he emphasized his healing on the Sabbath. The synagogue leader thought that the Sabbath was more important than the woman's bondage. Jesus said the woman's well-being was more important than the Sabbath. That's in Mark 2. The synagogue leader ignored the satanic disabling spirit, enabling it to continue. But Jesus identified the evil, broke the bond, and set her free. The synagogue leader saw the woman as a threat to his power and authority. And Jesus saw the woman as a precious daughter of Abraham. The synagogue leader did not give glory to God when she was healed, but the woman whom Jesus called over and healed gave glory to God. I guess my point is, based on this, what is Jesus' view? Does he value an abused person's marital status over his or her life and sanity and the kids' life and insanity. Do we just want to check that checkbox? Oh, yeah, they're still married. I mean, it's sort of a mockery of marriage, right? That's not the loving, undefiled, and lifelong marriage that the Lord um, planned for us. So I guess that's my mini sermon in a nutshell. Let's do as Jesus did. Amen. You can't get any better than that. Gretchen Baskerville, the author of The Life-Saving Divorce, Hope for People Leaving Destructive Relationships. Check out her paperback or all of her books. She's also online at uh, www.lifesavingdivorce.com. There's a whole bunch of resources over there for pastors and for laity and for others who are going through all of this. Uh, If you are in an abusive relationship, get in touch with somebody who can help you to get out of that marriage or to get out of that situation. If somebody is telling you to stay in that marriage, they're wrong and get yourself some help. Gretchen, I can't, can't tell you how much I am thankful that you are here. Thank you, Royal. I appreciate your time and, and this has been a wonderful opportunity 
to have a really good conversation. If you are in an abusive relationship, I urge you to seek help today. Call the National Abuse Hotline at 1-800-799-7233 to get the help you need. If you are a pastor or church leader, we have included a list of vital links, including how to purchase Gretchen's book, in our show notes. Please also consider supporting this ministry by using the Support the Show link. If you have any questions about our podcast, would like to be a guest, or would like to become a sponsor, please email us at podcasts at thepastorsvoice.net. I am Rule Sample. Thank you for listening.